to Ancient Answers, the program where we discuss modern issues by looking through the lens of the ancient civilizations that came before us. My name is Shane. And I'm Gordon. And today we are doing something a little bit differently. Our second episode for... Biographies. So this is a new little series that we're starting out where we discuss uh, figures from history. We talk a little bit about their lives and why we admire them, or at least why we're interested in them, and, and we, why, why we like to interview them. Exactly. And we do a little, sort of propose a little mock interview. What kind of questions would we ask these people? So, to uh, kick us off without any further ado, who is your historical figure you've selected, Gordon? Well, I've chosen Publius Cornelius Scipio Africanus. I love the way that Romans do names. <laughs> yes, they don't do it any short. They have to be long names. In fact, there are some Romans, in fact... Scipio Africanus's grandson has nine names in his Jeez, official title. That's so insane. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, uh, sometimes when I see Spen in, in, in the Spanish culture, you know, yeah. they have long, lots of names in this one. But not the, nevertheless, Scipio Africanus intrigues me uh, because at a, such a young age, no more older than Alexander the Great, he achieved two tremendous victories and he helped bring down an entire competing society yep. the Carthaginians Carthaginians and I admire him for a little bit about his background and how he had setbacks and yet he seemed to have persevered which is very much part of the Roman character and also he seemed to have taken a different mental approach to combat that had not been seen before and I'll get into a little bit more details as we get along with his biography. Just to give you some highlights, uh, he was born into a patrician family of substantial means and wealth, uh, not the richest, but certainly, uh, you know, many of his uh, relatives had served in the Senate, they had served as uh, counsel, and, and so on. He seemed to have some ambition as a young boy. Uh, he was noted by his father, who was also a military commander amongst the Roman uh, military as someone who was bright enough that by the age of 17 he was serving as a soldier with his father. And uh, his father seemed to have told him, well, you, you got to earn it. You're, you're not going to get a free ride, my son. Um, you know, show bravery, show leadership, and we'll go from there. Uh, the great test of Scipio and he wasn't called Africanus at this time. No, he was not just yet. Scipio. Uh, was the fact that uh, in 218, Rome's worst nightmare <laughs> in history, and certainly the closest to ever losing defeat until their final defeat in the fifth century A.D., was of course drum roll, Hannibal, <laughs> Hannibal of Carthage. Yes, Hannibal, a brilliant tactician. There's yes. nobody who would ever doubt that. He was probably the greatest tactician of his time and certainly an equal to Alexander the Great. And Scipio came along and had to deal with it in growing up. Now, there would be about a 21-year difference of age between the two of them. Okay. So Scipio being the younger one. And so <coughs> he, he was involved. Now, first, Scipio was involved with conflicts in Spain where the Romans saw... Uh, opportunities to, to knock off the colonies that Carthage had set up in Spain. Mm -hmm. But the reason also Spain was targeted was what did Spain have that was so important to the Romans? Well, they had silver mines. It was silver. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to pay for an army, you yeah. need some 
denarii. <laughs> and uh, the Romans realized, okay, if we knock off the Carthaginians control of what is now Spain or Hispania, as they called it at the time, then we can get not only the people and the resources, uh, the military, you know, army yep. men, but also the, the, the silver and the other min mineral resources and, and, and so on from there. I mean, the other thing that Spain produced was leather, okay. which yeah. also was an important thing for everything from military uniforms and clothing and stuff like that. But just... It was a profitable province. Well, yeah, and, and at this point, Hannibal and the Carthaginians were... They were giving Rome a bit of a run for their money at this point, so Scipio needed a little... He needed to change things up a little bit. That's right. And the fact that Hannibal crossed the Alps, uh, losing about 25% of his men to do so, and all his elephants except one, Yeah. Uh, but yet he shows up and spends the next 24 years running around uh, Italy... <laughs> with the Romans losing every single battle they fought against. Oh, they got destroyed by the Carthaginians. I mean, one of the greatest losses ever experienced by any army in history was Cannae. Yep. The, the third great battle that, that uh, Hannibal brought to the uh, Romans in southern Italy where the, this developing uh, strategy. Now, I'm going to come back to this. This mm -hmm. is important because we don't have a record that Scipio participated in uh, you know, Cannae or the previous battle, uh, Lake Travesani, but he did when they fought up in northern Italy. Yeah. And his father was wounded. And so it may have been, we don't have a historical record where he was for the next two battles, but we know that he interviewed the, the soldiers that were part of the loss of Cannae were shunned. Yeah. By the Roman, they were condemned. To, to put it in a little bit of perspective, I one of the videos I watched as sort of preparation for this, the guy mentioned that at the Battle of Cannae, the Romans lost more soldiers in that fight than Canada did in World War Two. Yeah, or the Americans in the Vietnam War. Exactly, yeah. And one it day. Was, yeah, they, the, it's estimated that roughly 500 men were killed every minute. Just terrible. <laughs> um, just to, to read the ones, it was the Battle of... Uh, Battle of Tychinus, Ticinus? Ticinus's Lake. Oh, geez. Trasimene? Trasimene. We're, we're working on, on the, <laughs> the, the anglicized versions of these names. Yeah. Sometimes it's easier when they're written in Latin because you at least know what you need to pronounce. Yeah, how to pronounce it. <laughs> uh, however, there's an interesting trend. We do know from the historical record that picks up on Scipio that he did go to meet the soldiers that had been, uh, you know, had lost that battle, who had been disgraced and been sent into exile. Yeah. He made contact and, in a sense, interviewed them. Mm -hmm. What happened in the battle? How did it go? What was the strategy? Because he knew he would be confronting uh, Hannibal at some point. Now, he switches back to Spain to join his father because the strategy was, let's go really knock out Spain, and that'll set the Carthaginians into a tizzy because they'll either have to withdraw and order Hannibal back to the mainland to protect their home city, or that was the strategy. They were, they were essentially knocking out the supply lines. They were knocking out the supply lines. Hannibal was, was tearing through central Italy and was having a grand old time there, so instead of facing him head-on, they went for his base of operations in Spain. Unfortunately, they went after Hannibal's brother, 
who yep. was a military commander. And in a, a battle there that took place in 211, uh, Scipio's father and uncle, who was yep. also a military commander, were killed. Yep. Uh, we don't really know how much this affected him, but this determination that he was going to take on Hannibal with as much vicious fury as Hannibal had against Rome seems to have evolved. The interesting thing is that, by all accounts, he wasn't a person that seemed to get emotionally upset about it. Mm -hmm. He just had this cool decision, I am going to make this happen. Okay. He returns back to Rome and eight years later was able to take a force across the Mediterranean and land just outside of Carthage. And there was a battle fought there in the 204. And then it was sort of a, a two-year standoff while the Carthaginians scrambled to get their mostly mercenary army together and then bring Hannibal back off of Italy. Mm -hmm. So Scipio achieved one of two major objectives, is get Hannibal off the Italian mainland yeah. so that the Roman people that he had to answer to would be happier. But this is where the interesting thing is. Every He went and he literally approached the men that had been uh, put into exile from the lost yeah. battle yeah, of Cannae. The disgraced soldiers. Yeah. And he said to them, come fight with me, mm -hmm. regain your honor. We will beat him, and but you need to obey my orders. Yeah. Okay, this is not going to, you know, this is one where ironclad... Discipline will be enhanced because I know how to do this. Yeah. I know how to play Hannibal's game. And to have this confidence at his age, which was 31 now, yeah. uh, against Hannibal, who was in his 50s and a wily old strategist, who had literally held the Romans off for 24 years in their homeland, Jeez. Uh, set out, and they had decided, it was actually seemed to be a decided, to meet at the plains of Zama. Okay. which is we now call the Battle of Zama. And this is where a remarkable event takes place where Hannibal agrees to meet out in the middle hmm. with... With Scipio. With Scipio, yeah. exactly. They have a little parlay. And have a little parlay. Now, this doesn't happen all that often <laughs> no. in history. But why would Scipio seem to either agree to it or seem to promote this? is an interesting thing. And this is uh, my speculation, although some historians do feel, that Scipio's mindset was he was looking for ways to beat Hannibal with unorthodox strategies, mm -hmm. including duplicating Hannibal's unorthodox strategies. Okay. So we, I've often speculated where this meeting, because we don't really know what was said. No. There's a great movie that is done uh, that has uh, some good actors that play out the part, sort of speculating by the writers what may have been said by these two men. But we do know from other writings that were done that Hannibal wasn't charming. Okay. He was he was aloof, if you want to use the word, and seemed to be quizzing Hannibal of kind of, why are we fighting? Do we really want to fight? And are you really sure you want to fight? And all these kind of stuff, which is not what supposedly brave military men ask. No. But if you want to try 
employing psychological warfare, yeah. then you have to set some doubts in your enemy. You're so, trying to find weaknesses. So he called up Hannibal and just played mind games with him all afternoon. He might have done that all afternoon. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, That's ballsy. <laughs> it is. Uh, it, it is part of the writing that he had... He did not, uh, like I said, not to repeat too much, but he didn't seem to be forthwith. And, and didn't, nothing happened. And so yeah. the next day they, they had a battle. The interesting thing about the Battle of Zama... It was an absolute repeat, almost identical read as the Battle of Cannae, yeah. only in reverse, in reverse result. Yeah. The Romans completely destroyed the Carthaginian army, yeah. surrounded them, and massacred them. Oh, jeez. Game over. So, of course, Carthage had to sue for peace, and, and uh, you know, Scipio... Af- actually, that's when he gets called Africanus. Yeah. Scipio, you know, Scipio of Africa... He gets to come home to Rome, have a triumph. Yeah. Oh, he's the hero. And then he gets enmeshed in the politics of Rome. <laughs> and it did not go well. No, he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy. In fact, it's remarkable that uh, a short time afterwards, he decides to leave Rome, head south into Campu, um, Campania. Camp- Campania, near uh, Naples today, and decides to just buy an estate and live there and get out of the politics. Yeah. And uh, in fact, his tomb, is actually in that area. It still exists. You oh, can wow. go and see it. It's a relatively modest tomb. Um, mausoleum is, is actually what we would call it. But it's there, and it's uh, it's accessible just off the highway. Hmm. And uh, he, he died there. Now, he died in a, a 183 uh, BC, the same year that Hannibal died. Hannibal took poison to avoid capture oh, wow. uh, when he was working for the Greeks. Uh, but... We don't really know how and why Scipio died. Mm-hmm. He died at age 55. Which is relatively young. Relatively young. And seemed to have had no explanation to how he died. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a mystery what happened. But he had built up some enemies in Rome yeah. who didn't like the fact he was kind of shunning the city and wasn't a grateful conqueror, a golden boy of yeah. the city. But there must have been reasons, and unfortunately, it's a little hard to decipher, decipher what was his reasons. Yeah. Huh. So if I could sit and interview him, uh, a few questions are, you know, were you employing psychological warfare on <laughs> yeah. in that famous meeting? Um, how much did your father and uncle influence you? And really, not you know, how much did it, did it affect you? Yeah. Uh, you know, how much revenge? Yeah, you get so angry that you got calm mm-hmm. enough to think through the strategy you were going to employ to knock off the, the most prolific general of your time. Yeah, because there was a definite shift in attitude after the passing of his father and uncle. It did, so. certainly. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'd like to know, what was your real beef with the Senate that would l- force you to leave the city and really have nothing to do with Rome yeah. thereon and actually avoid any further uh, hero worship? Because Scipio was an interesting figure. I mean, we, we went over the military exploits and whatnot. But what's really interesting about all that is that it was very un-Roman. Where the Romans relied on their iron discipline, but they just sort of did the same thing over and over again. That's right. He demonstrated a lot of mental and military flexibility. Where, That's right. You know, he would interview the soldiers and he would study the tactics and find out what went wrong. And then he would counter and he would come up with new strategies whereas the roman ideal was essentially no no no. this is what we do 
End of story. Bingo. In fact, the fact that he would actually go and speak to some of those uh, rejected Roman soldiers yep. who had lost and say, what happened in the battle? Mm-hmm. How did you deal with it? And all that bit uh, is a classic case of, uh, of you know, research RNA. Yeah. You know, R&D. R&D. <laughs> R&D. Research, research and development. development. Sorry, I got the wrong letter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's my case. Now, it, the, just one little follow coda pack. It was his grandson, mm-hmm. Scipico Emilianus, okay. who oversaw the Third Punic War mm-hmm. 55 years later and the absolute utter destruction of Carthage. It took two years yep. before they defeated the Rome, uh, Carthaginian army, and then when they occupied the city, they enslaved the entire population or massacred them, and then brick by brick took the old city apart. Yeah, That's the ultimate. And then the legend is they sowed the the field with salt to make oh, sure geez. that it would never grow. I mean, they rebuilt the city later. Yeah. I mean, they, <clears throat> and it still exists today. Yeah, it was where it was for a reason. Tunisia. So. I mean, it's in Tunisia today. Yeah. Tunis. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's Scipio Africanus's <laughs> legacy. Oh, geez. All right. Cool. Now, all right. As a surprise to me, who is your character? So uh, the character that I have selected from history is known in uh, the modern anglicized version is Boudica. Oh, okay. Yes. So she is a rather popular figure in the historical imagination. Um, every, I think most people are at least familiar with her to some degree, though a lot of people might not know specifics. So, in essence, she was a Celtic queen who led a revolt against the Romans. Bit of a theme in this episode, I guess. Um, so, yeah, she was a Celtic queen who led a revolt against the Romans in Britain in 60 or 61 of the current era. Um, so, the thing with Boudicca is that a lot of the information we have about her comes from historians Tacitus and Cassius Dio. <laughs> who were Romans. Who were Romans and who wrote well after she had passed away. So... Um, and take they that. didn't like Britons. No, they, no, they really didn't. So you got to take that with a grain of salt. But um, we do know a fair bit about her uh, through the historical record and through archaeological evidence and what have you. So uh, she appears to have been born uh, into an elite family in uh, Camelodunum, so which is modern-day Colchester, so around the year 30. Uh, at the age of 18, she married Prasutagus, so a king of an Iceni tribe, so the Romans actually conquered southern England in 43 of the current era. Uh, most tribes were forced to submit, but her husband was actually allowed to continue ruling, but he was an ally of Rome. Um, a rather reluctant ally, we should say. So essentially he was just allowed to keep his power, but was very much under Rome's thumb, just so that he can in, or exercise his own influence amongst his own people for the benefit of the Roman Empire. Which... Worked out relatively well until 17 years later, the king died. And he died without any male heirs. He and Boudicca had two daughters, but no sons. So as soon as that happened, Rome went, well, it's ours. It's ours now. (laughs) Um, They were pretty brutal about the whole thing, as only conquering armies can be. Yeah, it seems to be an, an anomaly that without really any precedent or any motivation, or sorry, not motivation, reason... Rome just began to be violent. Yeah. It, like, the the Iceni people, uh, they, they weren't the friendliest to the Romans. Suddenly, they were being attacked by the Rome without really any declaration. Yeah, no kind of provocation. Or no anything, provocation. But, so, at, at this point, that's essentially what happened. After Prasutagus passed away, um, 
Rome just conquered and annexed all of his territories. Uh, Boudicca was publicly flogged in front of her people. Uh, her daughters, unfortunately, were abused by Roman soldiers, to put it politely. And it was, uh, it was just an awful situation for them. And so instead of breaking the spirit of Boudicca, instead they just put some steel into her spine, and she responded accordingly. So that's an interesting point about Celtic cultures. Uh, women and men, generally speaking, and this is generalization, yeah. there was more equality between yes. the genders than would be in the more classical societies of Greek and Rome and Persia. Absolutely. And, and one, one way that there was a lot of equality with Celtic societies is that both men and women were trained for combat. Like, Boudicca was a trained warrior. She was a capable soldier. Um, so when she suffered these injustices and her family was treated so horrendously by the Romans, like I said, that just kind of put her back up against the wall. She was going to kick it, some ass. And she fought her way through it. So Yeah, and that's why I think she is a character that is inspiring in many ways because she was reluctant to fight back, but mm -hmm. she felt a duty to fight back. And then, of course, when her own person was abused she was going to get a little revenge. And, and that's it, right? People there, understand right? that. Yeah, that's, and that's the thing, right? That's why she's, she still exists in the popular imagination. Even though people might not really know her story, they at least know that she led a revolt against Romans in Britain. And they, she's looked at as this hero among the, the Celtic people and as this great inspiration to women and, well, everyone really around the world for just standing up for injustice and, and you know, standing up for what's right. And it was a close call for the Romans. It really was. Like she, she led one a heck of a revolt, and she, she was an intelligent woman. She took advantage of the governor, um, Suetonius Paulinus, who was actually campaigning in Wales. And while he was away, she rose up with the Iceni and other Celtic tribes, and she destroyed the Roman Ninth Legion. She destroyed Camelodunum, massacred the inhabitants, and then she did the same thing to Londinium and Verulamium. She annihilated an entire Roman legion and destroyed three major cities. Like, Londinium is London. Yeah. She sacked and destroyed London, Colchester, and I don't remember what Verulamium is. In fact, in Londinium days. did not actually get rebuilt, if I stand corrected, for well over 70 years. Yeah, I know it was, yeah, I know it, it stood as just a desolate wasteland for a long, long time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, like, she, she ended up destroying and massacring over 70,000 Roman soldiers and civilians in Britain as a form of revenge against, um, the, against the empire. So unfortunately, her revolution has a bit of a, a sad end because when Suetonius came back from his campaigning in Wales, he actually he fought a battle with, uh, with Boudicca. And the location is... Not, we're not quite certain where it was. Yeah. Um, there is some debate about whether where it was, but the Romans were able to pick their defensive territory, and the Celtic tribes people, um, it, was a, it was very much a Roman versus Celt battle, where the Romans relied on their superior discipline and the fact that they had selected the territory for the fight. They were the defending army on a slightly elevated position, whereas there was this Celtic horde in front of them. And Boudicca's Celts outnumbered the Romans by a huge, huge margin. And I think it's Tacitus who talks about this inspirational speech that was given beforehand, where, now, this is very much, it, fr frankly, it's completely made up. There's nothing to suggest that this ever happened, but it is a popular story surrounding her, where 
she's speaking before her men, like she's riding in her chariot and 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 talking, um, and she's you know boosting their morale and getting them all excited and ready to fight for what's right and to chase out their conquerors and the invaders and defend the island and that like it's this very inspirational speech and then on the other side it's essentially all right guys well uh you know let's have this done by dinner and then we'll just uh, go home and be all finished <laughs> like that's essentially the that's, way that it's painted because the, for the romans it was just business as usual like all right here's another celtic mob let's mop them up and get, get out of here yeah somehow that is so apropos of the <laughs> roman celtic culture and so, again, there's no real historical basis for this. There's no eyewitness accounts that we have or anything. It's but it very makes much, for a good story. But it makes for a good story. And frankly, it's very easily believable. Um, and essentially, that's what happens, where the Celts just charge in head first. And they have the weight of numbers, and they have their ferocity, and they are these terrifying warriors. But the Romans are the Romans, and they have that iron discipline. They have the advantage of the terrain they have the strategy behind them and they decimated the Celts um it wasn't it was a, a a desperate fight but at the end of the day when you put an undisciplined horde against a, a powerful disciplined army which is also better equipped it's better kind equipped of, that is a key one that's yeah. that's a big part of it of course the Romans were far better equipped than the Celts were the Celts were ferocious but that's about all they had going for them uh it's so no it different up, than the Germanic tribes or yes the Gauls and other tribes that the Romans dealt with, the Romans had learned mm -hmm. how to fight against undisciplined mobs of, of military soldiers. It's, it's a story that repeats itself over and over and over again throughout Roman history. Um, but this still was... so, Which is actually an interesting point to think about that hadn't really occurred to me before, but it's a story that has existed over and over again throughout Roman history, but Boudicca's story stands above all the rest. And I think that that speaks to the kind of character that she was and the kind of personality that she had and the charisma that she she possessed. You know, her ability to lead people like this. I would put Vercingetorix as oh, yes. a similar character. The one that uh, fought Caesar. Yeah. 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 He had larger numbers. He tried to keep a larger force together, but never seemed to get the military tactics. Later on, when the Goths later figured it out in the 4th century, 400s or yeah. the 5th century AD, they were able then to match Rome to Rome because yeah. they got the discipline. And that was that, that was the key for them. So unfortunately, this was well before that time. Yeah, well before. And it, just, it just didn't happen. So um, so Boudicca was then, she actually, her and her forces were defeated. Her and her daughters passed away by ingesting poison so as to avoid capture. And that was the end of the revolt. And what's really sad about the whole thing is that they were one battle away from victory. Like if if they could have maintained some form of discipline, if the Celts could have not let the Romans chosen the battlefield or really done anything except for run headlong into the Roman trap, there is a high, high degree of, of uh, or high likelihood that they would have succeeded. And they would have chased Rome out of Great Britain. And that would have changed history. It would have changed the course of history right there. They were They were one battle away. And it all just fell apart right at the end, which is, uh, again, something else that sort of repeats itself throughout Roman history. So, well, well yeah. certainly, Bodica is one of those characters. I mean, not only is she, you know, tough, strong woman symbol. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. But, you know, somebody who I, 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 I've always surmised was sort of reluctant, pushed into... An, um, a situation that was not of her choice. No. But rose to the occasion, 
must have had leadership skills that were recognized by the thousands of men who followed her and uh, did her best to get rid of an enemy that had come into you know their land, their island. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, did not succeed, and uh, history unfolded. As it did, yeah. As it did. So if, if, uh, if I could ask her a couple questions, one, one that I would really be interested to know is about her relationship with her daughters. Um, obviously, the Romans did terrible things to her and her people and her family, um, but what is it specifically about her relationship with her daughters okay, you know, that might have, might have spurned that or, or you know, lit the fire? Um, what kind of role model was she perhaps trying to be for her? Was there anything that she was trying to teach them through rising up, through the revolution or the revolt, uh, about, you know, not just taking the hand that you're dealt, essentially, you know? Um, and one, another thing I would like to ask, this is something that I think I would like to ask of pretty much every conqueror over the course of history, and it's that there's no doubt that a grave injustice was committed against Boudicca and her people, but... How does she justify the massacre of 70,000 Roman civilians? Again, not arguing that what happened to her wasn't terrible. And I can understand wanting to smash the Roman legions that were thrown against her and defeat the soldiers and chase them out. But when it comes to massacring and burning down cities of civilians, that's where you get into a moral gray area as yeah, far as I'm no, concerned. That, that so how, how do you justify that? The civilians arguably had nothing to do with any of this. So... Where do you where do you stand on that? Gotcha. No, no, that's so, yeah, a good question. That's, uh, I agree with that. It would be interesting to have a chance to converse with her. Mm-hmm. Well, that has a that gives us a good wrap on our second episode of biographies. Yeah, uh, we appreciate those who are listening to us and your support. And check us out on social media. Yeah. You can find us on Facebook as well as Twitter, and we're in the process of getting a YouTube page thrown together as well. But you know, COVID slows everything down. Yeah, <laughs> COVID. <laughs> The COVID curse. <laughs> yep. Anyways, I'd like to thank again. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And we wish you a great day, and we'll catch you up soon. Mm-hmm.